0: Hi, this is Lewis Black, and uh, you're listening to PF's tape recorder.
1: Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's author Matt Palumbo.
0: There's just there's not really a shortage of things to attack the that for, and, and and every supporter acknowledges that. Like there are certain things that we just accept as true, like the whole story, the story. Every single one of us who supports him knows knows he did it. There's not one Trump supporter who thinks he actually didn't sleep with that woman. They just don't care for some reason.
1: Matt Palumba's written, well, it's more like six books. He only counts two of them because he says four of them are self-published. But you can go ahead and count those. You wrote a book, you wrote a book, right? So anyway, I stumbled on Matt by accident a couple of years ago. Our friend Tim Slagle just happened to uh, post an article in his Facebook feed that Matt had written. And Tim still doesn't know Matt from Adam, but uh, I started following Matt's stuff. And he's a young conservative, but he's not crazy. So that's the fun part. And uh, so we had a good chat with him about some of the things that are in his book. His book is called Debunk This. And, and you know me, I'm a good friend of debunking on anything. So we'll talk to Matt about his book and about debunking in just a few minutes. But first we have a, oh, I'm sorry, we have a song of the week coming up. Uh, it's kind of an old one, but uh, we'll I'll explain when we get to the end of the show. Uh, an old one that was unearthed, but not released until a while ago. Anyway, so anyway, let's get to our dumb bit first. The Democratic debates were held again this week, and one of the things that stuck out, well, first of all, this is a segment that we call I Thought It Was Funny. And this isn't actually funny, ha-ha. It's more like funny, you know, uh, in more of a dark way. So uh, they had the debates there, I believe it was in Houston, and gun control came up, and uh, Beta O'Rourke had this to say. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used... And a friend of mine posted that and said, you know, it had some misgivings. He's, he's more liberal than even I am, if you can imagine that. And he said, this is no way to, to win an, an election. And he's exactly right, to which I thought, you can't even p- take people's straws away. How the hell are you going to take away their guns? I thought it was funny in a dark and sad way. Matt Palumbo is a young author from New Jersey, and uh, he's written for several blogs and websites, and he appears uh, regularly on conservative talk and radio shows. He is the author of the new book, Debunk This. Here now is our interview with Matt Palumbo.
0: Hey, is this... Yes, Wilson's
1: tape recorder. Yes, is this Matt Palumbo, All right, best right best-selling way. conservative author? <laughs> uh, you're
0: on. You are on the case.
1: Yes, sir. All right. Cool. All right, man. All right, well, this is great. Well, uh, well, we had you on the podcast years ago, but only briefly. Four years ago. Yeah, yeah, only briefly. But now this is your first time as a full-fledged guest. And um, I want to give folks a little background how I stumbled onto you. Um, a conservative comedian friend of mine, Tim Slagle, yeah, he's more of a libertarian, uh, who's been on the show many, many times, uh, just linked to one of your articles one day, and then I started following you on Twitter, and then we became internet-friendly. And Tim still doesn't know who you are, and I suggested that he, that he read you all the time. I'll have to tell him again, because uh, I know you, would, pretty funny. you enjoy you. So, yeah. And well, the thing that impressed me uh, about you, of course, is the fact. And of course, we'll get to this with with this the crux of your new book is the fact that you mm-hmm. um, you actually deal in facts and you do you, act, you do actual research and everything. And whenever I fact checked you, I'm like, yeah, darn it, he's right. So <laughs> you've got a pretty good batting average. Most of my conservative friends, I say, they probably bat about three hundred. And my progressive okay. friends probably bad, about about 750 on Facebook. but then again, that's Facebook. That's a complete algorithm. So, but that's also the um, right. the basis of my the, the dumb bit we like to call it's Facebook, not factbook, and um, yeah. which is always a lot of fun. So let's back up here. I know. Let's. Uh, you grew up in New Jersey.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'm still in Jersey. Like I said, out of Morristown. Um, okay. Yeah, I haven't really moved much uh, physically my entire life. Um, I I don't know what we going to cover. Like I don't know, growing. Like what do you want me to cover? Like. Uh, Kind of like career aspirations from college onward, and kind of like how things
1: been. Or, well, I would say just we could, you know, you grew up in suburban, I would suburban New Jersey, I would guess, you know, from across from New York yeah, City, correct? Okay. So, garden variety. So, so yeah. So, were you always a conservative kid? Did your folks kind of influence your thing? How do you get involved in, in, in even following current events and politics and things like that?
0: Oh. Uh, It really was just a way for me to bond with my dad when I was like 13 or 14. Um, You know, like I I was never like a kid into sports growing up and he certainly was not either. Um, I think that's probably like one of the primary activities that kids have to bond with, you know, with the parents. And, you know, for me, I didn't have that. So it kind of turned into what's another hobby. And I guess it just turned into that was my dad's hobby. So I just kind of naturally took an interest into that and, you know, actually was interested in it. and, you know, obviously, it was, like, mostly, like, Fox News shows, although the only opinion show I remember watching uh, was The O'Reilly Factor. He would always, like, talk about how Hannity and Limbaugh and all those other people are chills. So um, yeah. it was never, like, a, you know, like, hard right, but right-wing, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of leaning uh, upbringing. But, you know, my dad did make it very clear to me, like, within, like, the first few weeks of me starting to take an interest in this, like, you know, I don't want you to believe what I believe, or, you know, I, I... I hope that you do but i don't want it to be just because you know i i do so um you know obviously i was pushed in a certain direction but i was given a lot of leeway kind of in uh free thought and you know i probably do disagree with my parents on uh, maybe 40 percent of the issues so oh wow um, i think i have yeah probably you know a well-rounded uh a diverse set of views that is 60 plus percent on the right i guess i'd say
1: That's cool. It's funny because my uh, my daughter last night we were was sitting around. She's back from uh, she's doing her final semester of college and she's uh, living at home for the final semester. And uh, Mm -hmm. she was saying that when she was younger, she was uh, like when she was in I guess fifth and sixth seventh grade, she was like she goes I wasn't woke until eighth grade, and she says I I (laughs) thought like gay people choose to be gay and all this other stuff and and then now she's now she makes me look like Mitt Romney. So, um, it's amazing what, uh, yeah, what, what things can do. But anyway, so yeah, um, so what did you, st- you went to college, what did you study in college? Was it, was it political science or was it, um... Uh,
0: no, actually. I was convinced that, like, the only reason people majored in political science was to have a good GPA for law school. Um, uh-huh. maybe it's a bigotry of mine, but that was my either perception or misperception at the time, um, Oh, you know, well, well, you know, I'm kind of big half for cats. I thought, you know, the, the other route from law school would be working on campaigns for forty grand a year, which, you know, I didn't really feel like traveling a lot for that kind of pay. No. I, I don't know. I, just, I don't want like to traveling at all. But uh, I that's kind of what I, what I viewed the degree as. And I just thought, you know, it's a kind of degree where I could really, if I wanted to, teach myself all that information. Um, so I went into finance uh, and economics. Um, uh-huh. Aha. And- be honest, to, to me, economics was sort of my political science background. Um, it, 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 there is, I mean, I, well, a lot of economics, like 90% of it, I would say, is political. Um, so that was kind of my politics fix. And then the finance, of a degree, was, you know, the stocks and bonds um, side of finance, um, or side of economics, I should say. Um, but yeah, I, I think I it was, got, you know, got some political knowledge as well in, in college, even though know, I didn't explicitly. Uh, study it and it did help a lot with the writing I was doing. Um, you know, I was, I think I was at the College of New Jersey when you started reading my writing. Um, and obviously, I was a few years into the degree at that point, and it was able to, I was able to make it work, uh, in the way I wanted. So,
1: and when did you write your first book?
0: Uh, I started when I was, I mean, I like to tell people I started when I was 16, although I think I turned 17 like 12 days after I started, so it doesn't really count, but, uh, it was the way I started in high school. Um, I really just, I really started enjoying essay writing for some bizarre right, reason. And I would write like, I would, I would always be like at the maximum word limit when, when I, would, you know, when I would do a high school essay, which I guess is kind of weird for a high schooler. Um, but I, and I don't know, whenever it was something political, I just really would immerse myself in it. And, you know, after I was done with it, I would, I would sometimes double or triple them in length. Um, just in my free time, just to kind of document all the research I was coming across. Um, in my spare time, and, you know, just to kind of make sure I had an archive and never forget it. Um, and, you know, those kind of served as a lot of the foundational essays for Conscious of the Non-Conservative. Um, you know, I just took like a five-page essay on gun control and made it 30 pages long. And then, you know, I figured, okay, well, I know how to do research now. How do I do this with a dozen other topics that I really want to learn more about? Um, and I just took it from there. And then, it, you know, it's like two, if years it took to write that book. Um, although today, I think I could probably write it, uh, maybe like 10 months or so, just, you know, from all the skills and of the course since then.
1: Would the book be any different, you reckon, now that you're out of college? And oh,
0: it's... yeah. I mean, the thing is, the book, it's, the only, I mean, I think the research and it's fine, I just don't really like how it reads. Um, it, it's just kind of, uh, you know, liberals say this, here's why it's not true, here's all the facts. Um, you know, there's not that much narrative to it. Um, so, I, I tried to make the book this much more, uh, I don't know, pithy or, have some wit in there or something to kind of spice it up a little bit and make it read uh, a lot better or, or at least a lot more entertainingly.
1: So, Debunk, this is your second book then.
0: Oh, man, I think like sixth at this point. Um, yeah, I thought uh, so, yeah. yeah we, okay. Yeah, all right, so let's go. Let's go, hold on. we got got uh, Contents of the Unconservative, <laughs> yep. 2013. We've got In Defense of Classical Liberalism in 2014. Um, We've got Paradoxical Alliance, which is, uh, I wrote with a British guy in 2017. We got Spygate with Dan Bongino in 2018, and now we got uh, five books. Uh, yeah. So, wow, crazy. So, although, although three of them are self-published, so you are correct that at least two count. Okay,
1: oh, I was wondering because I didn't.
0: Yeah, so you're basically right.
1: All right, well that's, that's still that's that, writing a book's writing a book. I still haven't been able to, to put that together. Um uh, you are, I uh,
0: I know a ghostwriter. writer.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, well there there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and ironically, I've done that too for a for a crazy man actually. But anyway, um,
0: okay, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of brush for these, well.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, I was yeah. gonna say I, the little blurb in Amazon when debunk this was first coming out. I don't know if you wrote this or if your publisher or what, but it says that ninety yeah. percent um, of the media coverage of Trump is negative. Is that something you came up yeah, with?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm assuming your explanation would be against ninety percent of the things he does sucks, right?
1: Well, I was gonna say. Do you think there's a reason for that? <laughs> because if, and well, wait, I mean, uh, hear me I out. There,
0: hear, I mean, so it was, sorry,
1: that 90%, well, it's like Crossfire, isn't it? It's like 90%, uh, if that 90% didn't include the Wall Street Journal and Forbes, I'd be right there with you.
0: I mean, it so does. Wait, I it, believe I've ever, sorry, I don't look if I'm cutting you off, am I? What's that? Oh, so I, I thought I was cutting you off. No, so no, no. I think it was ABC, CBS, and one more. Um, oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I was being a bit general, and, but, you know, they are the most watched you know, networks, if you don't include Fox, or CNN, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, listen, to some extent it is because Trump, honestly, uh, does not uh, choose his language that cautiously um, and is certainly very bombastic. Um, but, you know, it, it's my, I think, you know, even if, I think, okay, if Trump were a generic Republican, I think it would just be like 60% negative. Um there's certainly, you know, you can argue there's an awfulness gap on certain issues that pushes it higher than, you know, the base 60. Um, and I'm saying a base of 60 just because I believe that's where it was when Bush was in office. I mean, I don't think we can really deny that there's, you know, on average more liberals and conservatives in the media, and on average you're going to get more liberal um, bias than a conservative. But, um, so, you know, the 90% figure we could say is artificially high due to the circumstances of who we have as president, um, but, you know, if probably wasn't it you know, stat might be 60 or 70 percent um, just because of, you know, who, who generally works in the media.
1: Well, yeah, I asked an uh, editor of mine about that years ago, and his explanation yeah. was, yeah, I think in the rank and file you may find that to be true. But when you get down yeah. with these news organizations, they're owned by large corporations. And during the Iraq War, NBC was owned by a defense contractor. So yeah, the, yeah.
0: So I, yeah, I remember uh, Noam Chomsky makes that argument, and uh, I think it's manufactured ascent. And yeah. he says, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I, I not explain it as just what you just said." Um, and the numbers I've seen is that I think it's like only seven percent of journalists identify as Republican, um, and then as a liberal, it's like more than fifty or so, and I guess the rest are independent. Um, it's tough to say, because, you know, I've worked in, you know, for publications before, but, you know, they're obviously not representative of every publication in the world, uh, where you can easily have, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like a way to explain it. Like, um, you know, there could be a story assigned to us in a Slack chat for the day, and, like, I might have an opposing view of another writer, and, you know, because they realize they can get clicks by hosting both views, they'll let us both do our own little thing. Um I don't I'm a good way to explain this. Like, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's a varying level of control over reconciled employees, and that yes, the, you know, the upper management is going to be more right-leaning. Um, but I don't know how much direct control they have. Um, although, you know, it's just kind of just pointless speculation. It's not like I know yeah. how any of these corporations run. I suppose. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I, I'm sort of a journalist. I don't really. I wasn't really trained as a journalist. My degree was radio, and, and TV, film. Yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't even play one on. I played one on the radio or, or in, I, in in weekly alternative newspapers. But you know, like I said, and that was like I said, even though it's a it's, it's a joke bit that we do on the show, it's Facebook not Factbook. I always fact check everybody, yeah. you know, on my in my feed. And like I said, it just seems that you know. When I can fact check my liberal friends, which I actually like doing more because I, and for some reason I get a kick out of like when I can catch one of them and say, no, wait a minute, that's not like. Like the the good example is um this was when, when Trump was first running the uh, the People magazine thing that came out. Oh, Trump said he'd vote for Republicans because he'd, he'd run as a Republican because he only listened to Fox News and things like that. And I'm like, well, first of all, I know that's not true because he said it on Oprah before Fox News even existed. And before Oprah, yeah. did, it was supposed to come from '88. So I yeah. told all my friends, like you know this. Yeah. And secondly, this oh, guy says, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this guy says so many horrible things. Why would you have to make something up? <laughs> he says so many yeah. real things. But anyway, that's um,
0: the thing. Like there was a few uh, months ago. Like I think, well, there was a question like two years ago where Trump called MS-13 members animals, and then someone cut it to make it look like he was saying immigrants are animals, and then like. That's only oh, we... half of the presidential candidates shared it and denounced it, not realizing it was two years old and completely out of context. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, like, listen, the guy has a gas day. Like, right. there's, there's just not really a shortage of things to attack the guy for, and, and and every supporter acknowledges that. Like, there are certain things that we just accept as true, like the whole story, the annual story. Every single one of us, who support him, knows he did it. Like... There's not one press supporter who thinks he actually didn't sleep with that woman. Um, they just don't care for Ex- I was just gonna um, say, yeah. So, I don't know. It's just the the, the dynamics of uh, what's acceptable certainly have changed.
1: Well, it's the thing, too, like you said, with uh, with perceptions and stuff like that and with people. Like, um, There was a thing where uh, uh, this is back even during the, the campaign when AOC was running and the economy was actually starting to you know pick up steam, and she's like, well, the reason the economy is so good, uh, not the presidential mm-hmm. election, the uh, uh, House elections, she said, you know, the reason the mm-hmm. economy is so good is because people have eight jobs. And I look it up and I go, well, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound right. I <laughs> looked it up and, and even liberal, we liberal outlets were like, no, that's actually not the reason. But so, if I yeah, didn't, that, wait, that, but if I didn't have eight, if I didn't have eight jobs, I'd be right there with you, speculated. But everybody I know has multiple jobs, but that may not be the reason why the economy, maybe that's, the you know, maybe that's it's the other yeah. way around. You know, the economy is so good that people need to pick up these extra jobs because they're open and they need to be filled. I don't know. You're the economist, though. So I, uh, I
0: can use talk about that in the book. I uh, have like a random chapter on some of Um gaps. And so what I looked at was the percentage of employees working uh, two or more jobs, Um, And, you know, it only varies by, like, a very small percentage every year, but I think it was around 5% this year. um, And it was, like, a slight few percentage uh, points higher in in prior years. Um, So it was technically lower than it's been. um, But her specific claim was that – the reason the unemployment rate is so low is people have more than the one job, mm-hmm. um, which just doesn't make any sense because un- your unemployment status is binary. You're either unemployed or you're not. Right. I mean, it's not like you're more employed if you have two jobs. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the real reason why, it, or the most concise explanation of why that doesn't really make any sense, you know?
1: Yeah. And when you're factoring those numbers yeah. in, let me ask you as an economist, because I have one job that I actually get paid for the regular way. I have a salary. I've got... Taxes taken out at the front end. And mm-hmm. the rest of my jobs are all contracting jobs. My other, my friend, she's yep. a school teacher. She has a couple of jobs, but only the school teacher job do they take out taxes. She's a contractor for the t shirt company I work mm-hmm. for. So, is, is all that, are contractor jobs and things like that and freelance gigs all that stuff factored into the employment picture or no? Or how are they?
0: Uh, you know, that's a pretty good question. Uh, I'm not sure how it would be counted. Um, Thanks. Uh, you know, I actually don't know. Um, it's interesting because, like, I know for me personally, um, because I've been able that I funnel it through, I, you know, I assume because it all funneled through that and I'm the sole employee, it would be counted as one person employed um, or one job. Um that's actually a pretty good question. I sh- actually should probably know that.
1: Yeah. The one other company I work yeah. for, I do um, social media uh community management for a company, everybody is a full-time employee there, except me. I'm the uh, hired gun because I work nights and weekends, and they can they can call me up and say, hey, we have a meeting running late. Can you jump on and answer? And I'm like, yeah. sure. So, yes, yeah, so I don't know how she counts me if uh, as a, an employer. I was always just curious about that. Um, but uh, back to the the appeal of Trump, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I get the appeal of Trump in that, like, like I've always said, there's always just a, a kernel of... of uh, Of uh, A a kernel of appeal to everything he's saying, you know, like with the immigration thing. Well, people shouldn't sneak into the country because there's people that do come here and follow the rules. And if you follow the rules and someone can just walk in, well, that's not fair. And I've talked to comedians, especially ones from uh, England and Canada mostly. It costs thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands of dollars to become a citizen in this country. And, you know, yeah, so I... I get that, you know, and even before Trump, the gun control thing—you're thinking like, well, if you know, if you feel responsible enough to have a gun and want to protect yourself, should something, you know, should you be yeah. stopped from doing that? So I get all of those things, but then it's just like he just goes nuts in the other direction. But then people just seem to slough it off. I don't know. What's it? Well,
0: well, I mean, the, the ultimate problem is, is he's a narcissist. Um, I mean, listen, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things I do like about the guy, and like. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily that I like it about Trump or it's just I don't like the opposite from politicians where like, you know, every answer, it, it just seems so poll tested and rehearsed and shaped and like, I don't know, even like a little stupid things on Twitter, like when I see Kamala Harris pretending to see her tour bus for the first time I and mean, acting really <laughs> excited, I'm like, lady, like I know <laughs> but there's no scenario in which this was not rehearsed. You're not fooling anyone, lady. And it's just Trump's exact opposite. Like, he'll be criticized by someone, and to, to their face, just dismiss them. Or yeah. someone, say, like, someone will just like, interrogate him over his tax returns, which obviously he should re- release them. But when he just goes, oh, it's none of your business. And they go, well, how much did you pay in taxes? And he goes, oh, the lowest amount I possibly could. Like, he moved the goalposts so much. Because if you remember, I remember Romney was getting a for his wealth. He's probably worth, you know, one-tenth what Trump is. And then with Trump, the gold post moved so much that they were going, oh, no, he's actually only worth, like, uh, $900 million, you know? And it's just it's so bizarre. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do like that he's unorthodox. I just wish that, like, I could um, have a feature where I could approve his tweets before he sends them.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> someone could approve so uh, like, it's like those. When I wake
0: up, he's attacking Jay-Z. It's like, dude, come on. I don't I don't understand I might be misremembering who it was the
1: attack recently. I think it was him. I don't know. Yeah, it's... I mean, the the one thing I do... I mean, and I could dig deeper probably, and maybe there's a reason behind Mm -hmm. this that's nefarious, but I'll take it at the surface. I do like the fact that he you know, hammers Apple to come build, you know, their products here in this country. If he yeah. could hammer them to stop using planned obsolescence and making me buy a new phone every two years, that'd be even better. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I so those things, you know, I, I, I'm i not 100% a, a, against them, but, I mean, you know, on the one mm-hmm. hand, I and as Lewis Black told us on this show, he said, you know, I'm all for somebody wanting to blow things up, but you got to know where to plant the bombs. And, you know, and secondly, yeah, well, I mean, in so many words, like you're saying, he's kind of an, an oafish dolt, which, you know, and calls people these, you know, childish nicknames, but I think in a strange yeah. way that appeals to a lot of people who think, well, good for him, I wish I could do that, so... I don't know.
0: Yeah, he kind of has politics because, like, you know, you get one of the things you learn in journalism school is that I think its I can't remember if it's a third grade reading level or a fifth grade that the average person reads that. I think it's but sixth. he kind of took that, I don't know if he knew that, but he kind of took that logic and ran with it politically. Like,
1: I guess, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, like, yes. He, he named it. Oh it's a
0: WWE match, basically. Yeah. And, a lot, and it's so easy to follow, like, and, and, you know, I think Marion Williamson is actually kind of on point when she says, you know, blocking isn't going to get you anywhere. And, and that's because you have great ideas, but, like, for some reason, no one's really has the attention to stand to understand anything anymore. So I think Trump has exploited that.
1: Hmm. I yeah. think like you had if, a... if, if,
0: if, if, Like, I'm, I'm, go watch, if, whenever you have time, watch the old debates between, like, Reagan and Bush. And, like, their answers to each other will be long thought out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's quoting from the news and, and citations, and it's like there's nothing even
1: similar to that anymore. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. The thing I remember from those yeah. debates is vo- voodoo economics. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> my favorite <laughs> phrase. Well, great, man. This has taken up uh, a lot of time already. Holy cow! So, where can people find? Uh, debu- well, let's real quick. What? What? The- I know some things <laughs> you debunk. The, uh, the the Clinton surplus. I'll buy that. You can manipulate numbers. I'm sure they did that. other yeah. uh, thing what other things, what other things do you debunk? Uh, Did you read my essay on that? I did not, or if I did, I've forgotten it.
0: Okay, the uh, the essay in ten seconds is basically um, if you you know so you can look at the national debt and it actually increased when um, there was an alleged surplus. So you know the the question is how is that possible? Um, And it's because the surplus wasn't because um, uh, actual revenue taken in through taxes exceeded government spending. It was because we have uh, various government trust funds. Um, and, you know, some of the major ones they do with uh, Social Security and Medicare. Um, and he was able to take money from those funds to offset uh, the rest of the deficit. That's kind of what made up the gap. Uh, I'm realizing it's a lot more than 10 seconds.
1: No, that's fine. Um, no, I've heard that before. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, hold on, let me
0: go uh, grab the... Uh, oh, a uh, lot of the stuff I'm talking about is, uh, like, Scandinavia. Um, it, oh, yeah, yeah. Like I was trying to de- yeah, it felt like I was trying to debunk Utopia when I was writing that uh, essay. Um, but... You know, the thing is, I don't necessarily argue that their large welfare state doesn't work. Um, I just try to explain the cost of it, and I just think if I were to—the le- way I lay it out, a lot a large percentage of people would just say, I don't think it's worth the kind of tax burden they have to pay. Um, well, I don't necessarily argue, like, oh, it's full-on socialism, and you're right, right. right.
1: Well, the and, thing um, on BBC uh, Radio a couple years ago, there was a documentary about uh, Denmark, and uh, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. also in Scandinavia, one of the things they explained was— is uh, they have a huge VAT tax. So if you buy a car, mm-hmm. it, the VAT tax doubles the care. price of the car. And they're okay yep. with it because they, see the, they yeah. see the value in getting it. But yeah, you're right. You'd have a hard time selling that. And uh, to be honest with you, I'd be like, I don't think I'd want a VAT tax. And weirdly, I'm surprised so mm-hmm. many uh, Western European countries have VAT taxes. And I don't know if Canada yeah. still has theirs. Well, uh, because it's it seems well. counter to what liberals think because that's it it's oppressive to the consumer it isn't really taxing wealth it's taxing consumption which i know as a liberal i don't think that actually i don't know i'm not an economist though so you're you, you can yeah, tell me completely and one, wrong and i'll believe you one of
0: the weirdest things about Scandinavian countries is when you look in terms of income inequality they're among the most equal countries in the world um but then you measure wealth inequality and they're about they have more wealthy uh and uh, Sweden at least has more wealth inequality than america um and I'm not 100% sure why that is, but uh, I, I don't know if there's more incentive for wealth preservation for future generations, knowing, like, you know, it's better to pass my money now and have them try to earn and you know, 60% yeah. top tax rate or whatever it is. But I have no idea. It's an odd phenomenon. Um, and you know, all these other little weird things in my research, like, I was finding, like, I was researching their free college program. Um, yet, when I was looking at Sweden, they, their students are graduating on average with, like, I think it was like 18 to 20 grand in student loan debt. And I'm thinking, how the heck is that possible when you have free college? Um, and, and, I, and I guess it's, it's, it's the obvious answer is room and board is not included as tuition. So they pay for that out of pocket. And, you know, I speculate, you know, perhaps because the government covers tuition, people are more likely to take on debt for the other half. Um, I don't know if that's completely true. Um, but, it, you know, this is another interesting little thing I found in the research. Um, or all these things that seem paradoxical, uh, you know, within those countries.
1: Okay. And what else do you debunk besides, uh, so people can get an idea of what uh, of what they're in for, for uh, when they pick up your book?
0: Well, oh, I'm gonna go through the index. So. Okay. <laughs> um, I thought that the claim the Senate is rigged towards Republicans. Um, you know, obviously, everyone gets two senators, in rural states of lower populations, so it's less, uh, you know, less people per senator. Uh, so they're technically getting more representation is how the argument goes. So I, you know, I go through history and show why that's not been true. Um, I do a comparison of Americans and Mexican immigration laws. Um, I talk about the Cato Institute's research that illegal immigrants commit future, uh, fewer crimes than native-born um, Americans. Uh, I talk about a lot of the tax return confusion. We saw back in April that led a lot of people to think they paid more in taxes. Um, I, I imagine none of these... Uh, Reputations are appealing to your audience, but uh, that's
1: okay. Uh, oh no! Like I said, I, I, I'd recommend <laughs> you because at least you're you're dealing in facts, and I I and from things I've read from you before, and I've gone back and looked at uh, I trust your yeah, opinion yeah. and analysis, especially on economics, because like I we might have had this discussion before, and I've told this to t- my friend Tim before. Is you know yeah. when we're when we're talking about like things like climate change, and I say, well, I think we should listen to the experts, and to the other side yeah. of that, on the economy, if you and I see if you agree with this because i think i know i think this is true if you ask any economist, left or right they will tell you that you shouldn't tax corporations bernie sander's running around saying amazon doesn't pay Mm -hmm. a dime in taxes amazon shouldn't pay a dime in taxes Uh, now the people that work for them should pay the taxes that's what they will tell some of the more liberal economists will say but Mm -hmm. and if that's what economists say then if i'm going to stick by my guns of let's listen to the experts then well Amazon and GE shouldn't pay taxes then, I guess, you know?
0: that's Yeah, and the logic behind that is, and I have a number of study, um, studies I've looked at, it, you know, they, they argue that the corporations offset the corporate income tax onto their employees in the same way that, like, if you're a landlord and property taxes go up 100 bucks a month, you might just increase rent 100 bucks a month. Um, kind of a similar thing there. So in the context of a corporation, maybe they will raise prices and lower worker wages or benefits or a combination. Um, so... You know, the question is, is that what's the ratio? Um, I've seen studies that, you know, it's as low as maybe there's a 20 cent decrease in worker wages for every dollar in corporate revenue, and it's as high as 90%. I'm actually trying to quantify it right now by looking at um, how the Trump tax cut that corporate uh, benefits were distributed. Um, and I, I think I actually ended up, like, I, I'm still looking over the numbers now, but it was on the lower end, like, the whole, you know, only like 20% of the cost was being passed on. Although, obviously, don't take my word for that. Sure, sure. Um, but, but that is the reason they give it. And um, the reason Amazon didn't pay taxes this year is actually a very unique circumstance. Uh, sort of so, um, you know, on a ba- you know, on an income statement, you can have non-cash expenses. So, like, if you're a real estate company, you're going to have a lot of depreciation expense. And it's recorded as an expense in your balance sheet or your income statement, but it's not like you're actually spending money on anything. Um, so, so, over the years, Amazon has given a lot of stock options to their employees. And when, the year they give out the option, they get it recorded as an expense, you know, on the value of the day that the option is given out. So, if it's a $1 option, they get the $1 right off. But, you know, suppose 20 years later, that option's worth $200. Well, Amazon gets to go back to the IRS and say, hey, remember 20 years ago, and made that $1 write-off? Turns out it was supposed to be 200 And, you know, Amazon's stock has gone up to like $1.50 to over $2,000. Uh, so 1500 bucks should be worth $2 million over a 20-year period. Uh, so you're going to have those massive write-offs accumulating um, as employees cash out. Um so it's probably, you know, probably closer to a one-time thing. I don't think it'll happen in the future. Um, but it's a very unique uh, circumstance. Uh,
1: yeah, and they also like uh, lost money for years and years too, which was another thing that. Um, Correct. Was another yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, so.
0: yeah, they had a lot of losses carried forward. Um, and the thing is, too, they um, they've been cash flow positive for a while, but they were they were reinvesting at a higher rate than their yes. income. Yes. Well, that's, so that's what cash flows. So, like, still so less negative income even though we technically were
1: profitable and that's another we argument for them profitable. not paying taxes because they because the economists say well if they're not paying taxes they're more likely to plow hopefully <laughs> plow it back mostly into the business and mm-hmm. development and then we get things like you know not just them being a big bookstore, but you get you know streaming and drones and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, great, man. So they, people can find the book on, on Amazon, uh, speaking of, yep. uh, and anywhere else you get books. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it because it just came out. But like I said, for the listener, I, I will vouch for Matt because uh, of his readings I've read on the inter- Internet over the years. Uh, I would trust uh, your research and uh, your opinion. So I'm looking forward to uh, finally getting a hold of a copy and, uh, and checking it out. Time. Yeah. Well, great, man. Uh, good talking to yeah. you. I'll, I'll tap you again if I have any more economic questions because economics um, is. All right.
0: I is I would be happy to come back on and talk about it.
1: Great. All right, man. Well, have a, cool. have a good day and good luck with the book.
0: You as well. Thanks, sir. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again to Matt Palumbo for being on the show. Uh, Like we said, you can find a bunked uh, Amazon, you know, uh, library probably. Anywhere else you get uh, your fine books. Uh, you can find Matt's book there, or you can order it from some... Or just Google Matt Palumbo debunked, and it probably puts you in the right direction as to where to find it, either in a, a physical brick-and-mortar store or online. So now we're up to the song of the week. I was uh, uh, plunging through pre, uh, through Freegold the other day, and uh, you know me, big proponent of Freegal. In fact, they should probably be a sponsor. I plug them so much. If you don't know what Freegold is, it's a, an outfit that's hooked up with a lot of libraries around the country, and basically what you can do is log in with your library card usually through the library website or even directly through Freegal sometimes. And you can stream millions of songs. You can download up to seven a week. In our case, someone told me that lives uh, in another community near me that their limit is five. So it just varies. And um, it's got two of the major labels in there, those being Sony and BMG, and then lots and lots and lots of independent labels. So... Uh, there's some big names in there, and I, I usually get a lot of good stuff out of there. So I was just going through it randomly, and I, I stumbled across uh, a recording of What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, the great Nick Low tune, made famous by uh, Elvis Costello. And uh, I listened to it, and it's by Midnight Oil, our friend's Midnight Oil from Australia. And apparently this came out as part of a box set in 2017, so a little over two years ago. And uh, it was a bunch of rarities, b-sides, and this happened to be one of them. And it is fantastic. And now this is one of those songs I don't think I've ever really heard a bad cover of. It's like uh, I Fought the Law. Some songs you can cover, and anybody can cover them, and they sound pretty good. And then there's other songs like Take on Me, uh, Don't Care for the Real Big Fish version. The Weezer version is okay, but no one's come close to topping the original. Um, Come on, Eileen. Uh, interestingly, of course, it was, uh, done by Dexy's Midnight Runners, and then Save Ferris did a Ska version in the 90s, which is fantastic, so, um, other than that, I haven't heard any other covers of, uh, of Come on, Eileen, but anyway, back to what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding, like I said, the Nick Lowe version is great, the Elvis Costello version is great, uh, this Midnight Oil version, I think it's just a little slight notch above both of those two, just, you know, Midnight Oil- the the song subject, you know, who better to get angry about peace, love, and understanding Why than Midnight Oil. So here we go. It's our song of the week on PF's tape recorder. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Midnight Oil. So long and thanks for listening.